So hello everyone, uh, my name is Rick, Rick from Rubin from the FVJ, and uh, here we are again recording episode 11 already of uh, this year's uh, Graphistania FVJ podcast. And uh, it's a little bit of a celebration uh, episode because who do I have on the other side of this Zoom call? <laughs> Hi Emil, how are you doing? Hello Rick van Bruggen, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for joining me. Uh, and I have to congratulate you. Uh, that's where I'm going to start this. I think uh, I have to congratulate you because, you know, the fourth time on the podcast, you're the only person. <laughs> that, I, I think I'm at most third most frequent after after you and Stefan. Oh, Stefan Wittlin, of course. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's uh, he's my co-host these days, oh, okay. right? So okay. yeah, yeah. So right, I'm fine. not counting him. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's he, he's part of the furniture. It's uh... yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you see specifically? Is it a is it a table or a chair or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a, a couch. <laughs> but, uh... He is very comfy. <laughs> yes, <exactly>. Relaxed, right? <laughs> very so. Very much so. So we'll we'll. Um, we have a couple of minutes here to, to talk, uh, which I know it's been an exciting couple of weeks for you. Uh, it's the week after your board meeting and, you know, there's uh, luckily there's Thanksgiving around the corner, right? So yes. all that, that that's quite good. Um, but, you know, uh, let's start with talking a little bit about this crazy year that we're in. Oh, my God. <laughs> 2020, man. What is it? Uh, is? It's freaking crazy, huh? It's uh, it's absolutely crazy. It's uh, I guess we have six more weeks to go, and who knows what the what the riders of 2020 have have in store for us. But um, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to turning over into the next chapter. Yeah, it's been but uh, I mean, on so many levels, I think, right? It's yeah. uh, personal level, but also professionally. I mean, all the stuff that's been going on, uh, oh. the world outside. Uh, yeah. But I think we've been doing quite well. I mean, near for Jay, I, I, I count ourselves to be the, the lucky ones. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, we just talked about that, right? Uh, we're not, we, we're not, we can comfortably do our jobs from home over Zoom, you know, over the keyboard. And there are so many people out there who are in retail or working, you know, in healthcare and whatever, we truly have to be out there in the front line. So, so we, we certainly are the, are the lucky ones having said that i mean it's still real the impact is still real and i'm i'm blown away as you know by the time we record this is this is literally uh just a week i guess it's six days after we released 4.2 neo day 4.2 and which was the first 100 covid <laughs> release of the database oh, yeah, so this true. is the this is the first release that was written from you know couches, from kitchens, from bedrooms, a completely 100% distributed team, and I'm 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 super impressed with how well people have taken to it. In particular, I think you know the folks who have, and because obviously we have a wide range of age groups and, and family situations and whatnot in in the company. We're I think about 400 people now, right? Something like that, um, but. In particular, the people who have kids at home. If you have, you know, kids at home and you're homeschooling them, and then still be able to actually be a productive member, I think that's that's super impressive. Well, 
we both have kids, right? And uh, you, you know the, uh, the 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 level of attention they can require. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, we, we we do, but on my side, like Sweden never shut down schools, um, and so we always had, you know, our kids in school and preschool and, and whatnot, right? And so that's a that's a big difference versus if you have to have them at home, homeschool them, typically on the same network that you have your conference call with you know a customer you know or something like that that's tough i don't i don't understand how people have been able to do it I, you know i have a quality of service setting on my router daddy's always daddy always wins <laughs> daddy always wins <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. well, that's like. yes exactly no but uh yeah i'm hoping you you guys are keeping well and and everyone else is and obviously all the people that have a more difficult situation than we do that they are uh keeping well as well you know what the reason why i i invited you back on this podcast is uh a little bit more specific right i don't know uh Hey, I think we chatted about it, but um, it was because of your your talk at the the Nodes conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. First of all, the Nodes conference. How, How amazing was that? Was that? Yeah, <laughs> over ten thousand, like significantly over ten thousand people registered. Thousands of people concurrently watching the sessions, and just the lineup was just amazing. Actually, I think you and Jim talked about it, uh, you know, a, a few episodes ago, maybe just two episodes ago or something like yep. that, just ahead of the ahead of the, the conference. And, and it was either you or Jim who just looked at the speaker lineup and was just like, man, yeah. this is some really, really, really good content. Six um, days of content. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was just unbelievable, really. Yeah. I was very impressed. But I was impressed by your uh, talk as well. I, I thought it was, uh, and I'm not sucking up too much. You're here, just uh, saying that because ultimately I pay the bills. And I have to be the polite radio show exactly. host here, yeah. right? So I, <laughs> but uh, your talk was interesting. Uh, uh, because you talked a little bit about you know the future and how you thought about the future right? and, and uh, you know the next decade in graphs uh, you know I'll put the link to the to the keynote um, on the transcription of the podcast as well but I really thought you 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 hit some interesting points there um, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit and uh, and, yeah. and, and take take our listeners through that uh, the first thing you talked about was the shift to the cloud um, kind of an open door isn't it but Yes, that, that totally is <laughs> and, and maybe let me take take a step back. So basically, the kind of the theme of the of the keynote was a little bit, hey, it's 2020. Uh, yeah, it's a crap year from many perspectives. It also is the the last year of a decade or the first year of a new decade, right? Depending on how you wanna you wanna look at it, right? And and on some level, the previous decade is when the graph category was formed, right? Yeah. We walked into that decade with no sequel having just formed NoSQL, like in our back, right? So NoSQL as a term was coined in summer of 2009, right? And so it was just six months before we walked into that into that decade. And for us, specifically here at Neo4j, our entire focus in the early days uh, of, of the last decade was make sure that graph databases as a category is seen as being part of the broader NoSQL phenomenon. At that time, there was this this conception that we disagreed with, but this conception that NoSQL was a product category, right? Yeah. It was either SQL or NoSQL. You can hear it in the name, right? Um, and we always felt that that was wrong, and actually, it was more of a movement or an observation of a of a shift in how people think about storing data. And 
and that several product categories out of would emerge out of this movement and one of them of course we felt was graph databases so a huge part of our focus was just making sure that when people talked about alternative databases in general you know under the moniker frequently of NoSQL that they would also consider and and appreciate graph databases yep. and so it was really z- from from zero to to one right and that's what broadly happened then in the in 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 the previous decade and on some levels if you if you really zoom out and 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 remove a lot of the details and probably too much of the details right but then i my my very 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 10,000 foot perspective on, on on that decade what what we achieved collectively we at neo4j but also the other graph database vendors yep. is that we made the category happen right yep. there's it's undeniable now that graph databases is a it's a formidable force in the world of of data and we have some extraordinary quotes from folks like Gartner saying that the future of data and analytics is analyzing relationships in data right the future of data and the future of analytics that's a pretty stark you know um comment right but then so so that's kind of the big one then if i look at a little bit more the anatomy like how did it happen I think if you if you simplify it a little bit that the category if you look at the the really the depth of adoption um for graph databases in the previous decade it's some version of it's used for transactional applications and for that I mean developers building applications so the direct user of the database is an application right that is then yep. used by people right deployed on prem right that's a little bit and it's specifically around certain use cases where things like fraud detection, real-time recommendations, data lineage, things like that were really the core USP, the unique selling point or the the unique thing about about it is we have a significant amount of read queries with multiple hops, right? Yeah. And so if you look at kind of if you if you imagine a Venn diagram, it's kind of All right, it's transactional applications, it's on-prem, it's read like deep hop read queries. That's kind of the not the only, but that's the bullseye in terms of the the real depth of adoption yeah. for graph database in the previous decade was that. So that's kind of the starting point for my keynote and I said, "All right, so so that's how far we've come and how we've come there, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, let's look forward 10 years." what do i believe from from my vantage point having the privilege of seeing the most of the adoption of graph databases out there right just by by virtue of neo4j being a very popular graph database you know where where is it going to unfold over the next 10 years so that's kind of uh the the broader framing and then i said i believe there are there are four themes four big trends that will shape this decade and the first one as you alluded to was the was the shift cloud. to the cloud and we yeah. can spend a little bit more time on that uh, if, if you want to and then the second one is the the rise of the developer or putting the developer at the front and center for how things unfold in the in, in the category the third one is the ra- the rise of data science and specifically graph data science and then the fourth one is my my personal favorite although this is like <laughs> you know choose your like who's the favorite of your children right or something like that right and so i love them all equally but the fir- the fourth one is 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 
I, I love the fourth one very much, um, which is, is specifically, I think we're going to see the property graph model live up to its full potential. And so those were kind of the the, 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 the four trends that I talked about. In the keynote. Yep. yep. And the first one being the cloud, and we've already kind of started that journey a couple of years ago and last sure. year a big big milestone with the release of aura uh which is now you know uh expanding more customers more 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 services you know all that type of stuff and that's that's really our you know start of our journey on this right it's uh start of the decade that's 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 exactly right and and it's obviously we're part here of a, of a much broader secular shift oh, right yeah. where it 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 started out, you know, ten plus years ago, and 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 everyone knows that there's this this shift to the cloud. What's a little bit more subtle is that the the pace at which it's happening is different per layer in the stack, right? Mm -hmm. And so so it happened faster at applications, right? It's been, you know, probably I don't know, twenty years since most people started using web-based uh, email exactly. applications. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prior yeah. to that, it was like Outlook and. I used to use Eudora. Do you remember Eudora, right? From you know, showing your age. And, yeah, and I used Pine and like all these kind of things, right? And, and then everyone started using Gmail and Hotmail and whatnot, yeah. right? And that was probably 20 years ago or something like that, right? So that happened very early in the application layer of the stack or on the business side, like CRM with Salesforce and so on and so mm -hmm. forth, right? And then many, many, many layers below in the stack VM, virtual machines, right? EC2 was the first cloud computing service from from Amazon, right? And and so it happened like at, at kind of counterintuitively at the very top of the stack and almost at the bottom of, of the stack, yeah. right? Yeah. And then different layers of the stack had moved at, at that different pace. And it took data, frankly, longer than I thought. You've been I mean, around for for a long time owing to your extraordinarily old age. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, but also, you know, um, you know, in, in the company. So you probably remember the really early, like in the early days of Heroku, I want to say 2012, 2013 is when we wrote our first, uh, you know, cloud service, right? Neo4j as a service. Um, and then we've kind of been dabbling and haven't really been able to properly focus on it. And then in 17 and 18, it hit an elbow in the curve when all of a sudden the data layer of the stack really it's, things started shifting and it was held back by by two things primarily data gravity and, and compliance and regulatory reasons um, but both of them were kind of overcome and we hit, hit this tipping point a couple of years ago and that's when we also said all right now it's it's time to go all in on this and so we released aura which is this this cornerstone for us when it comes to the to, to the cloud in the 2020s I was really amazed by the speed that it evolved. I mean, I, I, three years ago, I, I remember writing emails to, to you and Lars saying, you know, this is not happening in my uh, customers, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and, and it went way faster than uh, than, yeah. than I thought it would. Uh, so, but what's the second one? The second one, the second uh, topic was all around the developers, you know, around and, and developers. this is a, 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 you know, also a topic dear to your heart. Uh, Very near and dear to my heart. And very yeah. much where we where we grew up, and, and I guess I'll, yeah. I'll take the, the the very zoom out point of view on this one is that I think that the internet has changed consumer behavior in in general, right? And 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 it comes back to this this big business model innovation that happened a gazillion bazillion years ago, right? In in uh, in actually in grocery shopping, right? And this is 
like in the 30s and the 40s or something like that, like 1930s and 40s, like a long time ago, right? Um, when it used to be that you went to the grocery store and you talk, you asked the shopkeeper and you said, give me four eggs and, you know, give me a bottle of milk and, 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 and they would like, it would go out to, and on the, beyond the gun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the carton, you know, just, you know, stuff like that, right? And then there was this, this is one guy who realized that, wait, we can have consumers do this themselves. Like it's self-service is, has been the, the, the term for that, for that business model, right? Like they can go into, they, and then they go to the cashier and they check out on the way out, right? And so they can speak to um, a, a store representative whenever they want, if they need help to find something or whatever, but they don't have to. There's a bunch of stuff that they can do where they don't require to wait in line for someone you know is employed by the store to help them out, right? And so that was what was the was the innovation that created supermarkets, right? Yeah. Um, and so that so the internet really enabled that in so many ways for co consumer behavior across the board, right? Including yeah. for things that traditionally have been very enterprise software centric, things like infrastructure software, right? Yeah. And and for when it comes to specifically developers, and I say this with with all kinds of love and, and, and infatuation, because I'm obviously, as you know, a developer myself, or probably by now an ex-developer. I don't know if I if I can write production. Well, I know that I can't write production code anymore. Um, but but that's that's my mind. Let's hope. Exactly. Uh, well, I, I certainly don't. For those of you who are waiting to download 4.2, no worries. None of my code is in that release. Um, but but there's a lot of stuff where a developer where they don't want to talk to a human being in order to try things out, right? Yep. And and where we have this rise of self-serve API-based type services where you can opt into the full product experience. You can learn about it at your own pace with your own material. You can evaluate it. You can try it out. You can sign up. You can use. You can expand. And you can ultimately cancel if you don't want to keep using the service all without having to speak to someone but very importantly with an option to do it when you feel like no now i actually need to engage with i want to engage i need coaching or a more strategic broader discussion where i want to engage with a, with, with with another human being right and and that is a huge part of i see as the as the future for for, for graph databases in, in this decade, a self-service way of, of con consuming um, consuming yeah. the, the, the database service. Interesting, right? And um, I, I think this is something that's, like you said, it's been on uh, on the move and it's been evolving that way for quite some time, but it's interesting to see it uh, move into the traditional realm of, uh, of enterprise software as well. Yeah. Uh, conscious of time, and I know that your airports are going to run out of steam, so uh, you know <laughs> we, we probably need to uh, get going here. The third one that you talked about, Emil, was uh, was all about graph data science, and yeah. We did a couple of, uh, uh, well, actually during your keynote, uh, uh, Alicia was doing a, a little bit of a segue tour of of, uh, of of our GDSL graph data science library, right? But to me, this has always been like a fantastic topic because, you know, Neo4j has always been great at these pattern matching uh, queries, 
but what if you don't know the pattern, right? <laughs> right? That's that's kind of like the basic view that I've always took at this. You know, how do I find the pattern? Well, now we actually have a pattern finding engine or of some sorts. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, and I think that maybe the way the perspective I'd lead into it, if you if you heard what I said in kind of a, a, at the beginning, at the top, just framing the, the entire thing about the previous decade, I said, you know like the depth of the adoption, not all of it, but the depth was this Venn diagram of on-prem and then applications, right? So developers writing applications, right? Where you have transactional workloads is how you typically talk about it in the database uh, world, right? And this really is about like, so the first trend we talked about was expanding on the on-prem thing, right? The second point is about expanding on, on that second thing around purely transactional applications, right? Where all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing that there's this obviously huge rise, much like the cloud, the fact that there's going to be a rise of data scientists and AI and machine learning in the world should come as a shock to absolutely zero people listening into this, uh, into this, into this podcast. But it's actually, if you look at how, how that field has evolved um, over the past, you know, basically since its, its birth, it's very similar to the world of databases, pre-graph databases, which is, it's been founded on, hey, there's a lot of valuable stuff you can do with with a, with, with a tabular view, right? Um, but you leave a lot of data untouched or unseen. Like my, my favorite analogy for that is you can look at the world in, from a tabular perspective, but it's a little bit like looking at it in black and white. You see a lot of valuable things, but there's another dim an, an entire dimension that you don't see, right? And then if you start looking at relationships in data, how things are connected, uh, all of a sudden you see in color, or maybe go from 2D to 3D is another an analogy, right? And on some level in the previous day, decade, we achieved that for transactional applications. And I think in the 2020s, that is what we're gonna do for the world of machine learning and data science and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And this comes back to the first ever Graph Connect that we ran. And for, for the listeners, Graph Connect is our is our it used to be annual but then co something happened in 2020 <laughs> uh, but it used to be an, our annual uh, conference it will soon again be our annual conference when we bring everyone together uh, in one location you know back when that was safe right um, and 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 we talked about what's going on in the world of graph databases and the first one we had a professor from UCSD University of California in San Diego um, and he spoke about he he'd written a book called Connected, which of course is the type of name that that we tend to love here at Neo4j. His name was Professor James Fowler, and his observation was that it, he he had some really really stark research results where he was one of the first people to get access to the Facebook social graph in order to do research on it, um, and he had uncovered some interesting things. For example. He was able to predict voter turnout with a higher degree, statistically significant, much higher degree of certainty if he knew the graph around the individual and even two, just two hops out even. Uh, he could predict that with a, with a higher degree of certainty than if he knew everything about the individual. So in other words, if he doesn't know anything about Rick Van Bruggen, name, age, nothing like that. He just knows Rick's graph, one hop out or even two hops out. He can predict with a high degree of, of certainty whether Rick will turn out to vote in the election. And even yeah. things like whether Rick is a smoker, right? Those are the two things that he had researched, right? 
than if he knows everything about Rick. You know, medical history, you know, lifestyle, everything about you, right? And so the fact that those relationships around you are such an important signal um, in order to do predictive anal analytics, right? Which really is what a lot of machine learning and data science comes back to. It's like, am I able to predict the future from existing history? Um, that's a really huge component and it's completely ignored today. If you if you don't know how to operate and connect the data, then you can't use that as a signal. And so that we obviously see a huge amount of, of usage of, of, we call it the graph data science library, GDCL, GDSL, and Alicia demoed it as part of our keynote. Um, and we see a huge amount of, uh, of use of that already. And I think that's gonna be a, a big growth driver for the world of graph databases in the 2020s. Totally, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. And, uh, you know, I, I always uh, think about it, you know, if you if you look at the graph first, right, it's so difficult to know where you start, where where do you start looking for interesting data, right? And and, and, and the GDSL library or, or some of the uh, ranking algorithms that are in there and stuff like that, and clustering algorithms, they, they give you like pointers, they give you like, you know, this is where you should probably look a little bit more. I'm not going to tell you exactly what what it is that you're that is going to pique your interest or that's going to be meaningful to you, but this is probably where you need to look more. And then and then there's you know there's a lot of uh, and actually being able to filter like that is super super valuable to to a lot of uh, people. Right? So, it's so valuable, so. And, and and I think the 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 Google analogy is probably applicable, right? Where it's like, hey, look, I'm gonna you type in your search query. And I'll, t I'll tell you like the top 10 search. I can't tell you for sure that it's going to be in one of them, but out of the entire web, let me pop to the, bu the bubble to the top, the things that you should start investigating more, right? Exactly. And of course, as we know, what they use for that is eigenvector centrality or page rank, which is a, which is a graph algorithm. I, I vividly remember the days of Alta Vista and Lycos and, 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 and the, those shitty, shitty search engines. Exactly. And, my, and my uncle telling me, you know, Rick, you should really try try Google. And I was like, oh. really? Wow, <laughs> yeah. well done, That's uncle. how it happened. Yeah, my wow. uncle, uh, he pointed me to it. Yeah. Either, was, uh, either your uncle is an amazing early adopter or you were just a really, really late adopter. <laughs> Could be one of the two. We're going to go to the last theme. <laughs> Let's move off, of this. <laughs> move off of this topic, damn it. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, a good, a good finale, I would say. Uh, the full potential of the property graph model. Yeah, I, I think I know what you mean with that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's always been a little bit, uh, bit, um, bit, bit weird to me. Why don't you explain, explain it uh, to our listeners? Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. My jumping off point will, will be how I framed the previous decade, where it was like yep. primarily on-prem, and then applications, transactional workloads, applications, and then the third one I said was driven primarily by read performance, specifically around multiple hop queries, right? Yep. And and graph databases like are magical in that the type of performance that you can get compared to other database models, yes. when you want to, to jump across connections, when you want to figure out how things are connected, it's just extraordinary. That's when you get the, it's a thousand times faster. It's a million times faster. It's just these mind blowing numbers, right? And so a huge amount of the, of the adoption, in particular, the commercial adoption that we've seen for, for graph databases have been for that, where 
it, you, you just can't solve it any other way. Like your yeah. your alternative is either you try to solve it yourself, which is basically I try to do my own in-memory graph database, right? Either that or I don't solve the problem, right? Yeah. You know, those are typically the alternatives. You can't go to a relational database or a document database or anything like that, right? Huge strength of, of, of ours, right? Having said that, I've always believed that that's just one of the three core value propositions of a graph database. And I believe the three core value prop propositions, if you peel away everything else, is intuitiveness, agility, and speed. Those are the three ones, right? And this truly just talks about the third one, right? Speed. And, and what the observation that we've always made internally, that certainly I've always made, is that the graph model gives you a richer vocabulary to express most data. And it's, it's easy, you can most easily look at it when you, when you look at the document database model, which is of course in a hugely popular database model out there, right? Where you talk about JSON documents, right? And how do you serialize them into, uh, into a database, right? And you look at that and you have, you can capture these JSON key value pairs, right? But all of a sudden, if you're going to say that, um, actually, the, I'm, I'm storing, you know, people in cars, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm doing some kind of a vehicle register or something like that, right? Then you want to be able to store vehicles and you want to be able to store cars. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> vehicles and you want to be able to store people, right? But And that's very easily expressed in, uh, in, uh, in a document database. But you then also want to connect them, right? You want to say that this car has an owner called Rick. And all of a sudden then you have to have some kind of a field right in Rick saying all the cars that I own, all the vehicles that I own. And you have to have some kind of license plate, unique ID or a VIN number. And you have to store that. And it's basically a foreign key is how we would think about it in, in the relational database world, right? Yep. Um, and that you can't really express well in a document database, right? You can't express it, but all of a sudden when that, when when that car gets towed and 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 you know cr you know destroyed that vin number disappears then all of a sudden your pointer in that document points to nothing and then you have to compensate with that you know in your code hey if nothing gets returned back then it's probably been destroyed or you have to remember that when i destroy i have to look at all the documents that might 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 have encoded a pointer to this one right which is there no real support for right and you can't say things like, hey, when was this owned by me? Well, it was, you can easily attach information to those relationships because really what you're what you're doing is you're, you're trying to encode relationships in the real world in the form of documents, right? Yes. And this is something that is entirely doable, right? This is iso, like the document data mo model is isomorphic with the graph data model, which is a fancy way of saying that you can express all data in these various different forms without losing, losing information. So the question isn't, can you express it? The question is, how easy is it? And the observation that we made early on, going back 10, 15 plus years, when we sat down and we first conceived of the property graph data model, was that actually most domains are connected. And what I used in the, in the, in the, um, uh, in the keynote, in the notes keynote, is I, I went to uh, an uh, you know, incog. I brought up an incognito, so it's not polluted by my my search history, right? Incognito Chrome window. Went to um, um, uh, Google image search, and I searched for domain model. And every single visual, every single picture on that slide, 
was a deeply connected domain model. I went to Wikipedia, the article for domain model, you bring that up, it's a big graph. It happens to be a healthcare uh, model. It's really, really complex. So you understand that it's the US healthcare system. <laughs> um, and, and then you look at that and you see that, well, if most domain models look like this, why are we choosing to store them in a format that doesn't really, you know, appreciate and easily represent connections, right? It's a compromise, and right? Yeah. Exactly, you have to compromise. And I think the answer yeah. for that is that because the relational database exists and it's really mature and it's an amazing piece of technology because document databases, many of them are really easy to use. And I think if let's be candid with ourselves, we have a lot to improve there. I think Neo4j is, it's the most easy to use graph database on the planet, but it's not yet as easy to use as it could be, right? Yeah. And I think that there's a bunch of applications out there that have a thousand objects or a thousand records or elements, however you want to think about it, right? Where if you have as easy of a surface to the property graph model as you have to the document model or to the relational model, it is a better fit. It is much more productive to get up and running with it, right? But we haven't really talked about that as much. In fact, maybe we talked about it 10, 12, 15 years ago, right? In the really early days. But more recently, we've been more focused, like in the past 10 years, we've been more focused on what are the core use cases where we are this Ground, a thousand yeah. times faster, a million times faster, which is just, there's no subjectiveness to it. It's just undeniable. Like we yeah. are CPU clockwise, just so much faster than, than everyone else. And which has been the, the low hanging fruit, so to speak. And I think that's been an appropriate focus of ours. But as we really start growing up as a, as a company and as a category, I believe that there's an opportunity that we have, and it's not guaranteed to pan out, but there's an opportunity, it's a moonshot type thing, where if we manage to make our product as easy to use as humanly possible, and I talk about moving it from this you know, usability hierarchy all the way from impossible to possible to, to normal, right, and then to magical, what I call magical, right? Where it's just so easy to use that it's a delight. If we do that, then I believe that since our the the core data model, the core the, the core property graph data model is the most widely applicable one for most applications, I think we have this opportunity to become the first database where for most new projects people end up reaching for the graph database, reaching for hopefully for us, Neo4j, but more importantly for a graph database as that first database of choice. And, and that's, that I think is an extraordinary opportunity for us in the graph space in this decade. And that's the full potential. Uh, that's the full you, potential. Uh, that's full, yeah. Right. Super. Hey, uh, just one more question. Uh, we've talked in 2015, we've talked in 2016, we've talked in 2018, and we've talked in 2020. When are we talking next? I certainly hope in 2021. <laughs> On the it's podcast, you, I mean. Hopefully more frequently than that without, without being exactly. recorded. But uh, yeah, may maybe let's, let's do a, an end of the year type of uh, tradition of it, right? We should meet... Like it's, it's whenever you start thinking about Santa, you should also think, hey, I should talk to my CEO. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Emil, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I, I know it's a busy time of the year and uh, and uh, and you know everything around it. So uh, thank you so much for doing that. I awesome. really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I'll look forward to uh, next year at the latest. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Thanks everyone thank for you. listening in. Bye. Bye. Bye.